Good morning. I want to welcome you again to our live feed this morning here at South Suburban Christian Church. A few weeks ago, I told you that our governing board had appointed a facility utilization team to begin studying and strategizing ways that we could begin using our campus uh, to do ministry. Uh, We've been at work doing ministry for now the past 17 weeks, not only as a part of the whole church, but as South Suburban Christian Church. Uh, We're going to share with you a little bit later in this message some of the things that have been going on, but I want you to know that um, our uh, deacon chair, Mary Jones, uh, trustee, Sean Reed, uh, Deanne Warren, Jennifer Grothy, uh, Dr. Carl Severn, along with Pastor Joe, myself, uh, Todd Repu, Scott Walsh, uh, Carrie DeFries, members of our staff, have all been really busy studying the recommendations from our Tri-County Health Department uh, and coordinating with other congregations here in our area Uh, looking at ways that we can gather here again on campus. Now, some of the protocols are familiar, uh, like wearing face masks, maintaining a physical distance of six feet between people, providing hand sanitizer. Uh, Others are logical, but they really weren't on our radar screen. Uh, Things like keeping the preacher 20 feet away from people while he's preaching, no singing, because when we sing, the, the virus is transmitted through the aerosols in our breath and in our voice and is one of the most significant ways it's transmitted. Um, But some protocols are really frustrating. Uh, Recommendations like uh, pregnant women, like my wife Shauna, shouldn't be uh, present in a gathered uh, group of people. Uh, People 65 and older uh, shouldn't be gathering. They should stay home where it's significantly safer for them. Those those protocols are hard uh, to get our heads wrapped around, but we're working through them. Some of our team members uh, in the, uh, ha- have uh, been working on ways that we can uh, safely enter the building. What are the protocols that we need to have in place so that you and, and folks who are here can be safe? Um, some of our folks have been studying what's been going on in other congregations. There's a congregation not too far from us with whom we have a relationship that's been gathering uh, in groups of 50 uh, and multiple times. And some of the frustrations that they've shared about uh, some of the, the, the division that is resulting because folks just don't feel like they're connected anymore. And especially those folks who don't think it's safe enough <clears throat> for them to come back to church and uh, they're dealing with a sense of being marginalized or uh, forgotten. You know, in the midst of all this, it's important for us to support and encourage all of our members, all of you who are watching, while at the same time celebrating and thanking you for what you are already doing for the sake of the gospel. We love you, all of you, and we miss you. And we want this to be safe for all of us. And I know that it's frustrating. I know the current state of affairs can really kind of wear on us, especially at the end of the day. But I'm ready, I'm ready for this movie known as Year 2020 to be over. And I'm sure you are as well. But I can tell you this, I do believe we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this, I promise you. We're going to uh, continue being the church of Jesus Christ. I really think Christ is teaching His church some valuable, important, and long-lasting lessons in the midst of all of this. In many ways, uh, we have seen the work that so many of you are doing as amazing prayer warriors, 
Some of you have been sending notes of encouragement to people and, and remembering folks so that they don't feel like they've been forgotten. Some of you have been getting to know your neighbors, neighbors that you may never have met before, but now uh, they're friends, and some of them brothers and sisters in Christ. Some of you are figuring out what it means to be a house church in your own neighborhood. Some of you are serving in our food drives, our diaper drives, our love parades. In a word, or in a few words, you have been amazing. And I'm proud to be with you, a brother and sister of Jesus Christ. Our scripture today is from Matthew chapter 4. It's not that long. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. This is the text where Jesus begins to call his disciples. Many scholars believe that we're now sort of coming to the end of Jesus' first year of ministry, entering into his second year of ministry which is always intriguing because a lot of us think that Jesus called his disciples first and then started his ministry, and that's not exactly how it happened, particularly if you look at the texts. Uh, the first year of Jesus' ministry, much of it he's going, going it alone. But as that first year begins to wind down, he's beginning to call people uh, to work with him, to be beside him, and uh, this is the text where we begin to see uh, Jesus uh, identifying those first few folks who would be his disciples and ultimately would be apostles in the church. So if you found it, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and women. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My father's sister, Aunt Ruth, along with her husband, Uncle Bill, were missionaries in Guam. Guam is one of the islands in an area called Micronesia in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It's a territory of the United States, and it was a significantly important island during World War II, in which my uncle actually served. The island was captured by the Japanese uh, in the hours just after their attack on Pearl Harbor, December 8th, 1941. The people of Guam, after the Japanese had, over, uh, had overtaken the island, were forced into, into forced labor camps. Uh, they were incarcerated, they were tortured, and many of them were executed. It wasn't until July 21st, 1944, when the American forces were able to liberate the island of Guam. And after that, there always was a large military presence there after the war. My Uncle Bill and my Aunt Ruth Steimer not only had a profound love for the men and women in uniform, but for the people of Guam who had suffered so horrifically during the years of Japanese occupation. Well, after much prayer and discernment, 
my Uncle Bill and Aunt Ruth decided that they would leave their family, their friends, everything that they knew, to go to Guam to be missionaries. (laughs) Well, if you had known my father and his sister, my Aunt Ruth, they both were people of strong wills. They were argumentative and strong-willed with each other, and it wasn't, uh, well, it was known by pretty much everybody that their spats could be the topic of conversation, not only in the family, but among friends as well. They both were strong people with strong opinions. Dad could criticize his sister at any moment for anything, but here was the thing, no one else ever better say something bad about his sister Ruth. When my father died, one of the things that he bequeathed to me was this huge wooden steamer's trunk. It was filled with letters and cards that he had saved over the years. Now, my dad was one of ten brothers and sisters in his family, but judging from just the number of letters that he saved, I think Aunt Ruth was his favorite. Every letter, every postcard that she ever sent him, he saved and especially those that she had sent to him while she was in Guam. Dad would often say to me, Son, any person who leaves everything, their family, their friends, to go tell people about God, to serve people for God, has my respect, and they better have your respect too. (laughs) Well, if some of my family is watching today, You might have wondered about my father's love for Aunt Ruth, your mother, your grandmother, your great-grandmother. Well, he not only loved her, he respected her. And for my father, respect was probably even more important than anything else in his life. Unfortunately, it was also a sentiment that he struggled to show and to convey to folks most times. Anyone who leaves everything, their family, their friends their familiar surroundings, to tell people about God. Man, there's so much in that sentence. In in many ways, it's an indictment. How could someone leave their family and friends? In other ways, it's a sense of loss, grief, longing, and at the same time, respect, love, honor, even loyalty, which doesn't make any sense at all. And maybe even an admission that one of the greatest works, one of the greatest vocations we as human beings can have is this, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to follow him wherever he leads us, to go wherever he sends us, to speak the good news to those whom Christ wants us to speak the good news. In our scripture today, when Jesus finds Peter and Andrew, I don't know if I like that. See, I believe in the foreknowledge of God, that nothing surprises God, which means that even before the foundations of time, Jesus knew that he was going to call this person named Peter and this other person named Andrew to be his first two disciples. And so maybe we could think of this not so much as an appointment of happenstance, but an appointment that had been designated before the foundations of the world. You might even say 
that the appointment that Jesus had for you when you came to faith or the appointment that Jesus has for you today has been seen by Christ even when he spoke creation into existence. Nevertheless, Jesus arrives at that designated appointment at the banks of the Sea of Galilee and says to Peter and to Andrew, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And here's the thing. The text says that at once they left their nets and followed Jesus. There's a new series of the life of Jesus. It's called The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen the advertisements for it. Uh, you can Google it or you can go to YouTube if you're familiar with that and just type in The Chosen. The episodes from the first season are, I think, all available there for free. Or you can go to their website, www.thechosen.tv, and you can even order them on DVD. It is a fantastic series, and I encourage you uh, to begin watching those series. Now, there are some liberties that are taken uh, in the episodes, but they don't con contradict the Scriptures in any way, and they certainly don't compromise the message of the Gospel. Well, the reason I lift this up to you, not only do I want you to watch it, but because the episode about this event in Matthew, the calling of Peter and Andrew, is amazing because of, of its sense of real life, of, of how these things happen in real life. It, it isn't folks walking around with some somberness or, or, or con contemplative prayer and suddenly the voice of Jesus. I mean, folks are in the middle of life when Jesus steps in. In, in the episode, uh, the writers of the episode portray Peter as somebody who's struggling to pay his tax bill. We've all been there from time to time, haven't we? Uh, the Romans in the episode are trying to get Peter to, to turn on some of his fellow Jewish fishermen uh, for tax evasion. And if he does that, then they'll forgive him his debt. But the point is that every single one of us struggle. We struggle in life to pay our bills. We struggle with unruly children. Well, not us. No, that never happens in our household. Marriages that are struggling. Jobs that seem to be sucking the very life out of us. Confusion in the media over a viral pandemic that seems like no one knows how to fully address appropriately. Where, where an aspect of public health has now become an issue of politics with the right and the left constantly arguing with one another as the world sits and tries to live on in the midst of this jeopardy. We find ourselves in a season and in a time where the discussion of human dignity, of race, poverty, have come to the forefront. It's in those moments, I believe, in those moments of, of drudgery, in those moments of, of labor, in those moments of, of, of dealing with all of the complexities of life, of, of just trying to get through the day and and maybe looking forward to what we might be having for supper or dinner that night or, or the plans that we have for the weekend, living moment to moment, that Jesus steps in and speaks to us. And the words that he says are, are words that we don't expect to hear. Uh, we, we might expect a religious teacher to come to us and say, hey, you're doing a great job, it'll be okay. You just, you just 
keep going the way you're going and don't give up. But what Jesus says is actually, well, quite different. He says, hey, follow me. (laughs) Reminds me of what my father would often say. Any person who leaves everything, their family, their friends, to go tell people about God, to serve people for God, has my respect and better have yours too. Don't you wish God would just make an appointment with us? I mean, you know, like, like, like when maybe something that God could consider is if he would just send us a packet of information of, of what following him would cost us, what the expectations are. You could take your time. You could read the brochure. You could watch maybe an online video. You could peruse the section in the brochure that says frequently asked questions and be ready when Jesus finally arrives to negotiate, you know, an appropriate remuneration package, a a salary, benefits maybe, a retirement plan. I mean, who comes in the middle of a workday when you are in the midst of your work When you are in the midst of your labor for the purpose of providing for your family, yourself, and says to you, hey, leave everything. Walk away from it right now. Don't worry about your bills. Don't worry about your family responsibilities. I want you to first and foremost follow me. (laughs) And Peter and Andrew follow Jesus along with James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They had no way of knowing what would be required of them. They had no way of knowing where they'd go. They had no way of knowing what they'd learn, and they had no way of knowing what it would cost. But they went. You know, I think following Jesus calls us to reflect on our priorities, doesn't it? What do you want from life? Meaning? Truth? Success as defined by the world? When we're confronted with suffering, when we're confronted with the drudgery of life on certain days, it takes faith, belief, to trust that the Lord is in the midst of it, that the Lord is with us, that the Lord has not abandoned us. When we're confronted with temptation, It takes faith to know that the battle is within our hearts, not outside of our bodies, not with the world. Is God calling us to a way of life that just wants to suck the fun out of everything? Or are we being called to a life where we can look back and say to ourselves, my life was well lived in service to the truth, the one true God, for His glory, for service to Him and His creation. You know, we talk a lot about faith in the church, don't we? For by faith we are saved, not of works. But faith isn't just a box that we are to check off on our way towards salvation. Faith is a way of life. Following Jesus is an everyday thing, in an every place thing, in an every moment thing. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the just shall live by faith. 
John writes again in the letter of 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. <laughs> you, brothers and sisters, have lived by faith in the midst of this pandemic. I know you're tired. I know you're worn out, but you're here today, which tells me your faith is carrying you through. We've missed one another terribly. And when we come back together, there's a real possibility that the faces we saw regularly back in February, well, they may not be seen anymore. There have been staff changes that have already occurred here with different circumstances. But the truth is, things will be different. I actually want to share with you a couple of predictions that I have. <clears throat> First, I think when all of this is over, congregations will be smaller. For some people, the fear of future viruses will limit their willingness to risk infection to only ballparks and theaters. Others will find it difficult to reinvigorate their personal disciplines of worship and small group attendance. Second, because churches will be smaller, finances may be even leaner than they are now. The churches that survive this phase will be those who have done the work of preaching and teaching and modeling good Christian stewardship. We cannot ask our people to practice disciplines we are unwilling to model faithfully. Third, congregations are going to be filled with highly committed Christians. The ones who get through this experience of social isolation are going to be ready to hit the ground running. They're going to want to, to not go back to the way things were years ago, the way things were in February 2020. I think there's going to be a renewed interest in Bible study and prayer groups and service and mission opportunities. And that these things will become the defining focus of our congregation and the church of Jesus Christ throughout the world, now and after a vaccine has arrived. Fourth, the house churches that some of you have started with your small groups or in your neighborhoods, those gatherings of folks where you have developed a strength of relationship and begin, begun to speak the gospel into their lives, I think those are going to continue even after the pandemic. In our own congregation here at South Suburban Christian Church, I, I anticipate this place serving as a network church where, where the building becomes maybe the, the temple that we might gather, uh, harking back to Acts chapter 2 when the Christians gathered in the temple, but met in their homes to break bread, to fellowship, uh, to pray, to be instructed in the apostles' teachings. I, I think it's a very real possibility that even when you begin to come back to this place, your homes, your neighborhoods, your workplaces are going to continue being the mission field that they have been for you these past 17 weeks. The church will be a resource center for people as they follow God's call to love their neighbor. Fifth, I think churches will continue to have a virtual campus like this right here. You know, in the old playbook of how we do church, there was a chapter that stated that only certain generations of folks had a sense of being comfortable with digital communication and media such as this. 
But this pandemic has forced all kinds of people toward online small groups, uh, Bible study, business meetings. The new playbook that we're writing, it's not done yet, will expect us to communicate to a camera, uh, to be able to teach with a screen share on Zoom, and to be able to look at dozens in your Zoom room. Our church is already welcoming a sister in Christ who lives over 20 miles away in another city. We already have some brothers and sisters in, 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 uh, who, who are gathering in different time zones with us this morning. We even have a family in Europe who has been communicating with us who, because of stumbling on this, have developed an interest in Christianity and what it means to their life. These virtual parishioners, you might say, these virtual folks in our congregation are really beginning to expand our view of what it means to be a community of faith. It's the new, truly worldwide church of Jesus Christ. And you and I are going to need to figure out how to integrate these truly distanced folks into the life of our congregation, into the life of what it means to be in a community of believers. As the church nervously watched Christian colleges and seminaries go to online learning just a few years ago, who would have thought that perhaps that was the moment God was preparing His church to go online as well? And yet, some things in the midst of all of those changes stay the same. We are still a church committed to mission. We are still a congregation devoted to outreach. We still are a people who want to share the good news of Jesus Christ, evangelism. We are disciples who want to follow Jesus. And we're just getting started. It's your prayers. It's your financial support. It's your gifts of time, talent, and treasure that allow us to do what we do, to be disciples of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I can't help but hear my dad speak to me again. Any person who leaves everything, their family, their friends, to go tell people about God, to serve people for God, has my respect and better have yours too. My aunt and my uncle moved to Guam. Now, for some of you, you are being called to a radical decision just like they were called. And maybe others of you are being called to your neighborhoods, to your community, to your small town, to your place of work. I know, but Pastor Ike, I don't think I have the ability to do that. I don't know if I'm as strong as Peter is. I, I mean, Peter was a great disciple. I, I just don't think I have that. Really? You have your Bible still nearby? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading in verse uh, 21. And as you're looking for that, I, I want you to, um, to kind of get a basis for what's going on here. At the beginning of chapter 16, Jesus has asked his disciples, I know who the world says I am, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And after Peter says that, Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, Peter. Uh, That's wisdom that comes from on high. And you are the rock. And on that confession, I will build my church. Man, I'm going to tell you what, Peter is flying high. I mean, he has suddenly gotten the attaboy, the good job from the boss. It's sort of like being on one of those uh, song shows when Simon Cowell says it was a, a great song. I mean, man, that kind of compliment from somebody, that just carries you on and on and on. And for Peter, it did too. But the problem is, is it carried him straight into a spirit of entitlement. Yep. Jesus then continues and talks about the cross and what that means. And so Peter, with that sense of arrogance, pulls Jesus aside to try to speak a word of of, of caution to him. And we pick up in verse 21 of chapter 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Any person who leaves everything, their family, their friends, to tell people about God, to serve people for God has my respect and better have yours too. You know, after the resurrection, Peter becomes a significant leader in the church. This humble fisherman who was just throwing a net one day, trying to make ends meet and make a living, working to get through the the drudgery of life. When Jesus invites him to be a disciple, would he have even fathomed what would become of, of his life? In the book of Acts, we read about how Peter is the one who continues to encourage the church, the people of God, in the midst of challenges and arguments and persecution. Peter is the first person to proclaim the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike. Peter would go on to write two books in our New Testament, the books of 1st and 2nd Peter. And in 1st Peter 5.1, we find out that he was also an elder, a pastor of a local congregation. Like you... Like me, like all of us, Peter was a human being. But the difference was, he was a follower of Jesus Christ. An invitation that Christ is offering you today. To me, to Peter, it it was a command. Follow me. And to you, it might be a command as well. Follow me, Jesus says to this congregation, to the whole church, Jesus says, follow me. And I know that as for me and my house, as Pastor Joe recently said, 
we will serve the Lord. We will follow the Lord. And together, we will be disciples. And through our work, God will speak grace into the world. Jesus didn't ask a question. It was a command. So I'll ask the question. Will you follow Him today? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And do you accept Him as Lord and Savior? Will you be a disciple today? If you're saying yes to that question, let us know so that we can pray with you, serve with you for the glory of God. Let us pray. Merciful God, we hear your words to follow you. But because of our human frailty, fear, doubt, a lack of confidence comes over us in waves. And yet your still, small voice speaks into our hearts. I do not call the equipped. I equip those whom I call. And so with that promise, Jesus, we covenant today to follow you. In the name of Christ, amen.